Section 7 of An Explorer in the Air Service. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. An Explorer in the Air Service by Hiram Bingham. Chapter 7 Overseas. On February the 18th, 1918, there came a cable from General Pershing which contained the following paragraph. Urgently request that at least 12 experienced administrative and executive officers be sent to France within the next six weeks to assist in organization and training of air service personnel in France, England and Italy. Feeling that the work of reorganizing the Air Personnel Division, which had been given me three months previously, had been virtually completed, so that my services could perfectly well be spared at this time, without in the slightest degree interfering with the progress of that department, I wrote on February the 25th to General Squire, asking to be selected as one of the twelve officers to be sent to France within the next six weeks my request was favorably considered and after the twelve names had been chosen and sent to france for approval and a cable received directing that the twelve be sent immediately i was given my orders in the last week in march and immediately left for hoboken the trip across on the aquitania was interesting as a study in psychology she was at that time almost the largest ship on any ocean and a fairly good target for a submarine it was her first voyage with American troops, and there were rumours that the Germans were going to make a special effort to spoil it. When we got about halfway over, we began to follow an extremely irregular course, zigzagging at frequent intervals day and night, so as to make it difficult for a submarine to figure out where we would be at a given moment and lie in wait for us at that point. This zigzagging had an interesting result. One night, when the sea was running rather high, we had frequently to proceed in the trough of the sea. This caused an amount of rolling which had not been at all anticipated when the Aquitania was constructed, and for which no provision had been made by securely screwing down all tables and chairs. As it was, we woke up to hear a terrific amount of noise. It was occasioned by tables, chairs, trunks, boxes, anything, in fact, that was not rigidly fastened down, rolling about on the decks and in the staterooms. The adjutant's office, just over my cabin, was nicely wrecked by tumbling typewriters. As we approached the active submarine zone, we were warned to have our life preservers always at hand, never to appear without them and to sleep in our clothes. There was a certain amount of excitement visible on all faces that evening. The next morning, when a loud explosion occurred at dawn, and the ship trembled violently, and there was a sound of breaking glass followed by several shots from the ship's guns, we all supposed that we had been struck by a torpedo. It appeared, however, that the unusual noise and concussion were caused by one of our own six-inch guns firing at a periscope or what the gun crew and the guard watch believed to be a periscope, which suddenly appeared alongside the steamer and only a few feet away. The concussion from the shot, which passed very close to the port bulwarks, was sufficient to blow in sheets of plate glass three-eighths of an inch thick in the cabins on that side. 
Colonel Butts of the second division, who slept in one of these cabins, and who supposed, as did every one that was aroused by the shot, that we had been attacked by a submarine, told me that his first thought was of wonder as to how his regiment, none of whom had ever been under fire, would take their first experience. Others said their first thought was of extreme anger. A distinguished civilian whose diplomatic duties had forced him to cross several times during the war, and who had become more hardened to submarine attacks than the rest of us, said his first thought was of the intense coldness of the water and the very unpleasant idea that he would soon be shivering in the icy waves. We landed in Liverpool on April the 11th, after a fairly exciting passage in which we fired some fifty or sixty rounds at what were supposed to be periscopes. The chief result of our firing, so far as I could learn, was to irritate the captains of four or five destroyers, which were convoying us during the last three days of our journey, and which had several narrow escapes from our shells. In Liverpool, the children on the streets looked fairly well fed, the dock labourer did not appear to take the war too seriously. A few days before, notwithstanding the extremely critical situation in France, the great German spring drives began in the latter part of March, he had insisted on taking his three days Easter holiday as though nothing were happening. The bill of fare at the hotels was very meagre, however, and we were unable to get any meat since we were transients and had no meat cards in london it was the same way only there the war was felt much more keenly children showed the effects of the shortage of butter and milk some of our friends were particularly hard hit it made one's heart ache yet on the channel boats from southampton to havre there was abundance of everything including meat and bread I landed at Havre on April the 14th, and discovered that my confidential order from the War Department to report by wire to the commanding general, etc., was a joke played on all casual officers who went overseas. One or two had actually attempted to make their presence known to General Pershing, with somewhat unsatisfactory results. The great majority of us meekly consented to being ordered by the very polite first lieutenant who met us here to proceed via Paris to Blois. In Paris the daily bombardment by Big Bertha was going on and causing great congestion in southbound trains. While there was neither butter nor sugar at the hotels, there did not appear to be a shortage of anything else. Bread cards were coming into use, but were not as rigidly demanded as a few months later. It was an interesting commentary on the food habits of the two nations that, while meat tickets were required in England, none were needed in France. On the other hand, in Paris, bread tickets were in use, while none were necessary in London. Travellers who remember the delicious roast beef of old England and the surpassing delicacy of French rolls will need no further explanation. The picturesque old town of Blois, with its charming historical chateau and its winding hilly streets on the banks of the Loire, was the scene of more heart-burning, so far as the American army was concerned, than any other spot in France. 
in the first place here were gathered hundreds of casual officers of all ranks who had come over many of them by request received in special cable from general pershing to do definite and very important work with high hopes of being able immediately to take their share in bringing this war to a triumphant close here they suddenly found themselves herded together with others equally unfortunate in an unimportant town far from g h q still farther from the front-line trenches and at quite a considerable distance from any of the important posts to which they were so anxious to be sent a few received welcome orders to proceed elsewhere and report on a real job after they had been here only three or four days there were many others who could sympathize with the young lieutenant in the sanitary corps an important specialist in some branch of army sanitation who had been specially cabled for and who when i saw him had been in blois nearly six weeks doing nothing he was standing in the lovely old garden of the bishop's palace looking out toward the chateau of chambord in reply to my question he murmured i was trying to discover if there were any place within the radius of a day's walk that i had not yet seen you see i have to report at least once a day for orders it certainly gave one a helpless feeling to be unexpectedly dumped into this reservoir as a matter of fact general pershing and his staff were drawing from it as fast as needed officers required for different positions blois also contained another and more serious group of unfortunates namely those officers who had failed to make good on the job to which they had been first assigned and who had been sent back for reclassification when one considers the fact that the united states was faced with the necessity of commissioning several thousand officers after only three months intensive training in camps like plattsburg and that many men were graduated from those camps with the rank of captain of field artillery who had never seen at close range a modern gun until a few weeks previous it is small wonder that there were a goodly number who failed to please the critical staff officers in the advanced training area or who failed to measure up to the requirements of rapidly changing tactics at the front so far as one could judge there was no partiality efficiency was the only watchword and it made no difference whether an officer was a member of the regular permanent establishment a national guardsman or a recently appointed reserve officer if he failed to satisfy those who were held responsible for his performances he was quickly relegated to blois naturally his presence here did not conduce to the cheerfulness of the historic town but thanks to an enlightened policy which has been described as salvaging human material he was in most cases speedily fitted into another job which the classification board decided was better suited to his capacity a few were sent home it is not a pleasant sight however to see forty or fifty failures gathered together to come before an efficiency board and this undoubtedly added to the anxiety of the recently arrived casual officers to be sure a few of the younger ones were kept busy drilling replacement troops and casuals just out of the hospital but most of us after having walked through the chateau three or four times and having exhausted our ingenuity in attempting to get word to general pershing that in accordance with his cabled request we had arrived found the time hang rather heavily on our hands 
at last however the orders came for me to go to tours which was at that time the headquarters of the s o s services of supply known at various times by the names of lines of communication or service of the rear here we found that it was so many weeks or months since we had been cabled for that they had in the interim forgotten just what it was we were particularly wanted for furthermore the plan of campaign had altered materially due to the inability of the french airplane manufacturers to deliver the planes needed for service at the front consequently it was necessary to have patience for a few days more meanwhile i heard some sad stories and began to realize how low the morale of our aviators had fallen End of chapter 7